good morning to each of you. I bring you greetings from Shenandoah. It's good to worship with you all this morning. And I also want to thank you for the support that you show to the church at Shenandoah and for your offerings that are lifted as seen in the, in the bulletin, the one scheduled for next week for Shenandoah. So thank you in advance for that. We really appreciate it. Before I get into the message, I'll just give a little update on Shenandoah Christian School. Things are going well, and we actually just had another teacher start a few weeks ago, Jerusha Vanderbosch. She's originally from New York, but was attending Marietta. She has agreed to teach for the remainder of the term. At this point, it's un- unknown yet whether she'll come back or not. We're hoping it works out where she does. And Dawson Boss, he's in his second year of teaching, and he is planning to return for this coming year. So that feels very good to have him planning to attend, we really, or to return to Shenandoah School. We really appreciate what he brings to the school. We are looking for another teacher, or possibly even two, moving into this coming term starting in September. I got permission from Zach before I shared this because I didn't want to be competing too much with the reach and looking for teachers, but. If anyone is here that would be interested in teaching, we are looking for both a male teacher to assist Dawson as well as a female teacher for some of the elementary grades. So if anyone here would be interested or knows of anyone interested, please share the word and pray with us for the teacher needs that we have. I will say this yet, I was thinking Shenandoah Christian School offers or has an advantage over reach in one area, maybe some disadvantages in some, but you know with gas prices, you know just going up and up and up, if you teach in Shenandoah, you can walk to school, (laughs) so you can save some money that way. Depends where you live, you either walk right down the street or if you live in the apartment there, you just simply walk into another room, so you can take that uh, for whatever it's worth. This morning for the message, I would like to look in the Old Testament at a story that I've read some time ago in my devotional time, and as I, would, as I was reading the story, it struck me, and I put it down in what I have as a folder for future message ideas, and I shared this message last week at Shenandoah and thought I would share it here this morning. The title of the message is Learning from Balaam. Now, I'd be curious to hear from you when you hear of Balaam, when you hear Balaam's name, what comes to your mind? Or maybe several things. The donkey. The donkey. The talking donkey, right? It's probably what came to most of our minds. And that's when I hear of Balaam, that's probably what first comes to my mind. I'd be curious if anything else comes to your mind right after the talking donkey. Turned out to be an enemy of Israel. Yes. Well, we'll look at that some in the message. So I wanted to start with a little bit of a context, and the message this morning is going to be a little different than probably most of the messages that I've preached. I want to spend the majority of the time looking at the life of Balaam, but then I do want to draw some practical examples towards the end that we can learn from Balaam. So the context of this story, we have the Israelites, they are nearing the end of their journey in the wilderness. This is prior to their entrance into Canaan. And you can turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 22. 
this story, I won't be able to read all the story for the sake of time this morning, so I'll, I plan to read some verses and then also just, just uh, talk about some of the verses as well. So Numbers 22, and you can look, hopefully that map is up there where you can see it. So the Israelites, they are in the wilderness, and there were three people groups that God told the Israelites that they are not to attack, they're not to fight against these people groups. It was Edom, Moab, and Ammon. And these are all distant relatives of the Israelites. So you know the Israelites were God's chosen people, and God told them, don't fight with these three people groups. So the the Israelites were in their journey, going up through here, going north, and they wanted to pass through the land where the Amorites lived, and they got in communication with the king, Sion, and they asked for permission to travel through where the Amorites lived. And the king there said, no way. And the Israelites even said, we're not going to take anything from you. We're, just, we're not going to drink your water. We're just going to pass. We just want to pass through your land. Instead, the Amorites came out to fight against them. But God was with the Israelites. They engaged in battle, and they won the battle. They destroyed the Amorites, and then they continued on their journey north. And there was another group of people that came out to battle against the Israelites. The, it was the battle at Bashan, or with the against Bashan, and Og was a king at that time, another battle where God was with the Israelites. The Israelites won the battle, and from there they continued on their journey, and then they settled over in this area into the plains of Moab. This was located north of the Dead Sea, just east of the Jordan River. So we have the Israelites moving into this area in the plains of Moab. And now, in Numbers 22, I would like to read the first four verses. So this is right after, or this is when they settled in Moab. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side of Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel." And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are around about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of of the Moabites at that time. So the setting here is the Moabites, even though I don't, I'm not aware if they were, they probably were not aware how God told the Israelites not to engage in battle against them, but Balak We're talking about two names here, Balak and Balaam. They're both similar here, but I'll try not to get them mixed up. So Balak is king of the Moabites. They're they're looking at the Israelites, and they're settled into the plain there, but they felt very threatened by the Israelites. But Balak was also aware of, they would have heard about the two battles that they were just victorious in when they fought against the, the, uh, the two previous battles that they engaged in, the Amorites and at Bashan. So they felt... They didn't feel equipped to go out and engage in battle against the Israelites, yet they felt very threatened by them. So Balak is thinking here, what can he do so he does not need to, or so he doesn't feel threatened by the Israelites? And his plan is very interesting. I'll read verses 5 and 6. This is Balak. He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, 
which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure, or another word would be, perhaps I shall prevail that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land, for I wot, or I know, that he whom thou blessed is blessed, and who whom, you, whom thou cursed is cursed. The interesting thing about this is Balak, instead of going out and engaging in a physical battle, he heard of Balaam, I'm not exactly sure how, but it's interesting because where the Moabites lived to where Balaam was, could have been about 450 miles. Now, back then, they didn't have email where he could send an email to Balaam and and let him know of the threat that the Israelites were to them. They didn't have vehicles to drive the 450 miles. So he develops a plan. He wants to go and convince Balaam to come to them and to put a curse on the Israelites so that they're not threatened by them. So quite interesting here. Very likely... I don't know if they rode donkeys or horses or what they rode, but till the, a round trip till they would travel the 450 miles. Some places I've studied said maybe a little bit less, but it really probably depended exactly how they traveled north. But it probably took a few weeks for the return for them to come back after trying to get Balaam. Now, before we talk too much about Balaam, I want to ask, what do we know about Balaam or who is Balaam? It says here that Balak knew Balaam had the power to bless people, and they were blessed, and to curse people, to put a curse over them as well. So the word got around about Balaam, even though he lived possibly around 400 miles away. So who was Balaam? Well, I found a few things that I believe we could say he was a prophet, for one. And a prophet in the ancient world was someone who communicated with God, or at some times, the gods, not the true God. They were not all prophets of God, but they were sometimes uh, false prophets or prophets of Baal. And a prophet is one who could determine the will of the gods. He was also a seer. A seer is someone who could predict or see into the future. And then he was also a sorcerer. A sorcerer is someone with intrinsic power. They were able to throw curses on others or also able to bless others. And I found it very interesting. Balaam's name in Hebrew, I believe, is pronounced Balaam and means devourer or destroyer of people. So Balak realized the power Balaam had. He sends messengers the 400 or so miles to come bring Balaam to curse the Israelites to devour or to destroy or to weaken the Israelites. Now, I'm going to continue reading here at verse 7. I'll read through verse 12. This is again Numbers 22, starting at verse 7. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. And they came unto Balaam, and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. 
And God, said un, or, and God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people. Why? For they are blessed. And find that interesting as well. God says, because they are blessed. And we are familiar with the Israelites, or the history of the Israelites, how God uh, made a covenant with Abraham that his descendants would be great and they would be blessed, they would be his chosen people. And I'll read a, just a few verses there from Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of earth of the earth be blessed. So when Balaam is talking to God and telling God that Balak wants me to come and curse the Israelites, God says, well, no, they are blessed. I blessed them. I made a covenant with them. And God was with them when they were in Egypt in bondage under Pharaoh. God was with them in the wilderness, providing the things that they needed. And then when Balaam comes along and asks that if he can get permission to curse them, God, of course, says, no, they are his chosen people. They are blessed. So I'll just talk about some of the verses following that. So Balak, or Balaam, rather, goes to the messengers that Balak sent and said, hey, I can't go with you. And I, God told me that I cannot go. Now, it doesn't have it recorded in Scripture that, in scripture that Balaam told Balak's messengers that they that he couldn't go because they were blessed he simply said I I cannot go so the Israelites or not the Israelites the messengers that Balak sent go back to Balak and say hey he said or he he did not come with us but Balak is not ready to give up yet he sends he gets more men more honorable men and he sends them back on this long journey again the 400 miles miles or so back to Balaam. So they come to Balaam again, and Balaam is put to a test. And the offer that they gave Balaam was basically, well, I appreciate the Sunday school lesson from Shane this morning. He did an excellent job. And Shane mentioned about a blank check, like Solomon to God. Basically, God ask Solomon or told Solomon he would give him anything that he asked for. And this is really what Balaam was being offered. So Balak said, basically said, whatever Balaam wants, as long as he comes, I'll basically give him whatever he asked for. And for those of you who ever went for a job interview, can you imagine what it would have been like if the person you sat down with to discuss the possibility of being hired, if they told you, Hey, you choose your benefits. You tell me what you want. Or if they told you, hey, you set your hourly rate. You tell me what you want. What you want. Well, we probably didn't get that. I mean, if we would get something like that, it would be almost too good to be true. 
but really, that's about what Balaam was being offered. Now, I'm impressed with Balaam's answer, what he responded after being offered basically anything he could ask for. He said in verse 18, And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or to do more. So Balaam realized he could not do anything other than what God gave him the command for, what God told him. But then in verse 19, he said, Now therefore I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. I, couldn't, I can't see into, or none of us can see exactly what was going on in Balaam's heart. But I can imagine this offer was so good, like, oh, I want to go to God again, and hopefully this time God will allow me to go and, and curse the people. He says, well, just stay here, I will speak to God, and I'll tell you again what he speaks to me. And verse 20, And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to thee, if the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I say unto thee, that, that shalt thou do. So this time God's answer is a little different than the first time. The first time God said, don't go because they're blessed. Now he's saying, you can go, but only speak what I tell you. And then this is the part where it gets a little confusing, just at least for me as I read this some time ago, just reading through this passage right here. Verse 22, or I'll back up a little bit. So Balaam gets on his donkey, and he's going to go to Moab, because God told him he may go as long as he only says what God tells him. Verse 22 starts, and God's anger was kindled. Why? Because he went. Wait, didn't God just give him permission to go? Like, what exactly is going on here? The only thing that I'll say right now to that is, it doesn't quite, like it seems a little confusing, yet God could do something that we cannot do. And God could see right into Balaam's intentions. He could see right into his heart. And I really believe that Balaam was, he was facing a, a big test in his life. I really believe he wanted badly to go. And God said, okay, if you want to go, go, but just say what I'm going to say. And we'll look at some verses in the New Testament a little bit later that shed some light on what uh, where Balaam's heart really was. So, is Balaam passing the test? And I wanted to put this up here earlier, but this is really what Balaam's test was. Was he going to basically get what Balak was offering? You know, basically anything he wanted, wealth and fame, his resources were almost unlimited, or was he going to heed God's voice? Was he going to listen to what God was going to tell him? So did Balaam pass the test? We're going to come, or I want to come back to this towards the end. Now, I'm going to move towards, or talking about Balaam's trip. So this is the part we're very familiar with, or most of us are familiar with, Balaam riding the donkey. He gets on this donkey, I believe, with two of his messengers, I believe, verse... 22 tells us and they're on this they're, they're on this journey and here's where it gets quite interesting so Balaam's riding this donkey and as they're going towards Moab they're the first time is they're going through a field I believe and the donkey all of a sudden goes off the path and runs out into the field well 
Balaam hits his donkey and they get back on the path, unknown to Balaam what was happening, the angel, an angel of the Lord came with a sword drawn, and at this time only the donkey could see this sword. So this donkey just ran out of the way of the angel before the donkey got killed. They get back on path, and uh, I don't know how much time went by, but the angel appears before the donkey again, and this time they're going through a vineyard where there's a stone wall on either side, so it's fairly narrow. The donkey's going through there, and all of a sudden sees the angel again, and runs out of the way of the angel, crushing Balaam's foot against the wall. And Balaam's angry. That would hurt, right? <laughs> Having the, your feet hanging down along the side and your foot being smashed against the wall. He strikes the donkey again. The donkey back on path again. And sometime later, again, I don't know how fast this all transpired, but the donkey sees the angel again with the sword drawn. And there's no space to turn. It's in a very narrow way, even more narrow than the previous one, I believe. So the donkey just falls down. And Balaam, this time, I believe, furious with his donkey, strikes the donkey again. And this is where the part gets really interesting. The donkey turns around to Balaam and says, have I ever done this to you? Or no, what have I done that you've hit me these three times? And Balaam, instead of being like shocked that the donkey's talking to him, talks right back to the donkey. Now, I don't know, you probably have animals or pets, maybe a dog that you talk to sometime. But if you go home today and talk to your dog or talk to your pet and your dog responds back, I think you'd be a little surprised, right? You say, wait a second, what's going on here? But the, the way scripture is recorded, almost just like Balaam didn't even think twice about it and responds right to his donkey. So when the donkey says, Why, what have I done to you that, that you've hit me these three times? Balaam says, you've mocked me. You made a fool out of me. If I had a sword, I would kill you, he says. And the donkey responds, am I not your donkey that you've been riding ever since I was yours? Have I ever done this to you before? And Balaam, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with the sword drawn. So now God, in a sense, reveals himself to Balaam, and Balaam at this point realizes there's something much bigger happening here. Balaam falls down, and he bows his head and falls down, and I'll read verses 32 through 35. This is in Numbers 22. <clears throat> And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine donkey these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse, or another word could be, thy way is reckless before me. And the donkey saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displease thee, I will get me back again. And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that shalt thou speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Again, it's interesting because God again reminds Balaam that only speak what I want you to or what I tell you to speak. So I think this again gives us a picture of what was really uh, being going or what was happening inside of Balaam, the test that he was facing. 
God knew the temptation that Balaam had, and he keeps driving home, only speak what I tell you to speak. And he didn't say turn around, but he said you can continue to go, just tell Balak what I communicate with you. I wanted to put this one up here before as well, but just a little picture of what this may have looked like as the donkey is falling down and the angel there with the sword drawn. But really, the angel or God saying, if had the donkey not ran away, Balaam's life may have been taken. So God was sparing Balaam from death. And now, the context where, where the setting next. So Balaam goes to meet Balak. They meet. And the next day, Balak takes Balaam up into a high place so they could look down like the plains of Moab and see all the Israelites down there. And Balaam tells Balak to build seven altars and prepare seven ox and seven rams. And they did that. They sacrificed seven ox, seven rams on these altars. And Balak is asking Balaam to Again, curse the Israelites. So Balaam goes to God. God speaks through Balaam. And instead of cursing the Israelites, he blesses them. Because this is what God spoke to Balaam. And, and Balak gets angry. He's like, I called you to curse them and you're blessing them. But Balak wasn't done yet. You can see his determination. They go to another high place. Just another angle where they could see over the plains of Moab. The Israelites settled there. And the same thing happened again. Balaam asked Balak to build seven altars. He builds the seven altars. They offer seven ox, seven rams. And again, Balaam and God communicate. And the words that come out of Balaam's mouth are blessing rather than cursing the Israelites. And Balak is furious again. Not done yet, though. They, go to the, they do this a third time. They build, Balak builds seven more altars. Seven ox, seven ram are sacrificed. And this time, I believe Scripture records that Instead of asking God again what he should do, Balaam just speaks blessing over the Israelites rather than cursing. And that uh, Balak was furious. And I'll pick up here Numbers 24. I'm going to move ahead a little bit. Numbers 24, I'll read verses 10 through 13. This is after the third time of blessing the Israelites. Balak is very angry. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he smote his hands together. And Balak said unto Balaam, I called thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times. Therefore now flee thou to thy, pal- to thy place. I thought to promote thee unto great honor, but lo, the Lord hath kept thee back from honor. And Balaam said unto Balak, Spake I not also to thy messengers which thou sent unto me, saying, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either either good or bad of mine own mind. But what the Lord saith, that will I speak. So again, he basically says, "I, I can't speak anything other than what the Lord tells me. Reading this, these verses and these chapters, it would seem like Balaam is just sold out to do only what is good, only what God wants him to do. And again, I can't, we can't see into Balaam's heart what was really going on. But there is something really sad what takes place. If we go, let's just turn in our Bibles to Numbers 31. I would like to read verse 
8 and 16. Numbers 31. So Balaam did go back to his area, but sometime later, Israel was sinning with the Midianites. They were uh, committing uh, sin with them, and God tells the Israelites, or through Moses, to go out and destroy the Midianites. And verse 8, listen closely to what takes place here. Numbers 31, verse 8. This is the children of Israel fighting against the Midianites. And they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi, Rechem, and Zer, Hur, Reba, five kings of Midian, Balaam also, the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. So here Balaam is killed in battle. I don't know how much time transpired from when he went back to when he was killed. But here he was in battle and it appears to be against the Israelites and he's slain with the sword. Now jump down to verse 16. Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So it appears what happened, since Balaam could only speak blessing over the Israelites and not curse them as Balak wanted him to, that he went and convinced the Israelites to go into sin so that maybe Balak could reward him with what he was offering from the first place. That, By all appearances, it seems like something like that may have went on. And I also want to look at a few verses in the New Testament that shed some light on Balaam. Shane mentioned it in the Sunday School lesson this morning that it does us well to look at not just take one verse and, and just only look at one verse, but what does the whole Bible have to say about it? And if it wasn't for some verses in the New Testament that talk about Balaam, I would be a little bit more unsure exactly what was going on in Balaam's heart. In 2 Peter chapter 2, the verses up there on the wall, and find it very interesting. So this is in the context, Peter is talking about false teachers. And he says, for they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. So Peter writes about Balaam as one who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Another interesting verse in Revelation 2, and this is addressed to the church at Pergamos, says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. So again, so we see in Numbers 31 where Balaam is killed in battle and he talks about in verse 16 how he led the Israelites into sin. And he really was, Balak had a big influence on his life and I do believe that he ended up heeding to, or heeding Balak's request. Even though he couldn't curse the Israelites, he could weaken them, cause them to live in sin and probably receive some reward from Balak. So, what are some things that we can learn from Balaam? I would like to look at three things this morning, and I'm 
sure there's more things that we could learn from him as well, but three specific things. The first one is actions speak louder than words. You probably all heard this phrase. Actions speak louder than words. Or another way to put it, actions speak more truthfully than words. So Balaam was saying the right things, at least for a while. He was speaking only what God wanted him to speak. But did he do only what God wanted him to do? I believe he did not from what we can read in Scripture. An example of that, if I tell you I love God, or I I can tell you I love God, or I can say how I love my wife, but how do I really prove that I love God, or how do I really prove that I love my wife? And in 1 John, or not 1 John, John 14, verse 21 says, He that hath my commandments, and saith them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. I have a question. Is there anything wrong with that verse? He that hath my commandments and saith them. Thinking about actions speaking louder than words. Who, what's the error in that verse? Saith instead of doeth. Yes. And I believe the King James says keepeth, but doeth same thing. It does not say we don't prove our or we don't prove our love to God or our love to our spouse by what we say, but rather than how we live. And our love for God is not proved by saying God's commands, but about keeping them, about obeying God and following his commands. So Balaam had the right words and his but his actions were falling short. And I asked myself the question this morning, what are my words, are my words in line with my actions? And this is a challenge to me. And I think about it a lot, getting up to preach a message to a congregation. I preach, I, my desire is to preach God's word in truth. My desire is to teach people how to live, to instruct people how to live, but do I follow that out throughout the week? And that is a challenge. I must admit I fall short at times, but my desire is that we would all, our actions or our words and actions would be in line and would speak the same thing. Secondly, we cannot serve God and money. And we talked about this some in our Sunday school lesson this morning as well. So again, going back to the test that Balaam faced, was he going to pursue the things that Balak was offering him, or was he going to only do what God spoke to him? Shane read this verse in Sunday school, but it's a verse probably familiar to most of us, but yet does us well or does me well to think about and meditate. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or serve God and money. It is our choice what we're going to do with that. We are serving one or the other. How would have I handled that test that Balaam faced? How would have you handled that test? When you're basically offered the wor- I mean, all the wealth you could ask for, all the honor you could ask for, or are you going to choose rather what God wants you to do? 
we all use money. We all need money in order to live in this world. But yet, what are we doing? Is money controlling us or are we in control of it? 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And that key word there is the love of money, I believe, or that key phrase. If we are loving money, if money is controlling us, I believe that is evident of which master we are serving. Most of you are probably somewhat familiar who Steve Jobs was. Ray, I believe one of your messages, you talked about Steve. And Steve Jobs was a very wealthy man. I should have looked exactly how much wealth he had. But he was the inventor of the Apple computer. But he died at maybe 2011 from pancreatic cancer. He said some very profound words on his deathbed. And I don't know that he was a... I believe or that he was a Christian, but I want to read a little something he said, and I think it does each one of us well to even listen to the words that he spoke on his deathbed. He said, In others' eyes, my life is the essence of success, but aside from work, I have a, I have a little joy, and in the end, wealth is just a fact of life to which I am accustomed. At this moment, Lying on the bed, sick and remembering all my life, I realize that all my recognition and, and wealth that I have is meaningless in the face of imminent death. Does it sound like the Sunday school lesson this morning? You, Steve went on to say, you can hire someone to drive a car for you, to make money for you, but you cannot rent someone to carry the disease for you. One can find material things, but there is one thing that cannot be found when it is lost, and that is life. Your true inner happiness does not come from your material things of this world. Whether you're flying first class or economy class, if the plane crashes, you crash with it. Those were the words of Steve Jobs, and if someone that's an unbeliever... I shouldn't say that. I don't know exactly where he was, but if, if he can teach us something about life and, you know, what we're really pursuing in life, we do, I believe we can learn from him as well. How is it in your life? And I have to ask myself the same question. Does money trump obedience to God? Am I more concerned about the wealth that I can attain in this world? Am I more concerned about being known by or being famous for some reason or am I more concerned about being obedient to God we are entering tax season and I just this came to my mind this morning you know as we are following our taxes do we do it honestly it says Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness and in a sense if we are I believe if we're cheating on our taxes on purpose really that's money that Jesus said, you know, pay to whom Caesar, whom what is due, is due him. And are we being honest in these areas? It does me well to think about that. Am I more uh, concerned about obeying, obeying God, listening to his word, than about uh, pursuing wealth or fame in this world? And I believe this is one area Balaam failed in towards the end of his life. He gave in to things that Balak was offering him. 
And then thirdly, another thing we can learn from Balaam or what Balaam teaches us, we cannot fool God. And this is very simple. We all know this. And yet it seems for a time Balaam was really, he seemed to be doing so, so right, saying what God spoke to him. And yet he, in a sense, lived a double life. And another familiar verse or verses, Galatians 6 Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And again, I'm going to go back to Balaam, or God being able to see right into Balaam's heart. And I believe that is why God used the talking donkey, or used the angel to speak through the talking donkey to really get... Balaam's attention, and he, I believe he could see the desires of Balaam's heart and what he was really pursuing. And God can see right into each one of our hearts. We cannot fool God. God knows our motives. You know, sometimes we can do things for uh, maybe a, a dual purpose, for maybe honor for ourselves, a name for ourselves, and yet it also might be a good thing to do. God can see right into that. He can see into our heart. We cannot fool God. So, in conclusion, what I want us to learn from Balaam, I want us to learn from the test Balaam faced so that we choose obedience to God over riches and fame. Will you choose obedience to God over riches and fame? Will you pass the test in your life? We're all going to be tested in, in areas as we go throughout life. Is obedience to God going to trump, or is that going to be the deciding factor in the test that we face? Will it trump the financial decisions that we make? Actions speak louder than words, or actions speak truer than words at times. And my challenge is for myself as well as you that to allow or to be able to speak and follow through with the actions. Secondly, we cannot serve God and money. My question to each one of us is, who are we going to serve? Will money or God be our master? And then thirdly, we cannot fool God. Again, so simple, so something we're not, not new to us, and yet to re- look at the life of Balaam, and I believe to... Look where he, I believe, went wrong, and can we learn from him and some of the mistakes that he made? One day, each one of us will stand before God, and he will judge us righteously, and he will see exactly what is inside, as he already does. And may this challenge you, as it challenged myself, to live honest lives for God's glory and to learn from Balaam and to choose obedience over riches or fame as we go throughout this life. Let's all stand for prayer, and after the prayer, Damien, if you have a closing song after the prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Balaam's example. And even though sometimes reading through his life and numbers, it can be a little confusing exactly what was going on in his heart. We know that you could see his motives. We know that you could see his desires. And from all appearances, it appeared that he gave in to what Balak was offering him. 
And I pray for each one here this morning, whatever test that we are facing, that we would, that we would choose obedience to follow, or to follow you rather than what the world may be offering us, that we would remain faithful to you despite of what we might have to say no to in this world in order to remain faithful. I pray that you'll be with each one of us as we go from here, and I pray if you've spoken clearly to anyone here this morning of a specific area in their, in their life, I pray that you would continue to speak to them, and I pray that they could, if there's something they need to make right, that they would confess it to you and uh, just be washed in your blood, and we just thank you for the forgiveness of sin that we can experience through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would be with us from here, guide us, I pray that you would protect us, help us to live faithful lives for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.